Welcome to 2022. The calendar switched and we are now in an election year, a critical election year. And we're about to have a conversation with someone who's going to be on the ballot in May in the Democratic primary. You're going to want to hear this. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Where did 2021 go? I'm glad it's gone. Don't get me wrong, but where'd it go? And we're joined now by Charlie Bailey. Charlie is going to be running for Lieutenant Governor of Georgia. He is going to be in the Democratic primary, which right now has four or five people that will be vying for it. Charlie, welcome. Well, thank you, Chuck. Thank you for having me. You're no stranger to Columbus and West Georgia, are you? I am not. No, I'm a... a uh, a seventh generation Harris County um, and uh, very familiar um, with Columbus and, and your work uh, in the paper over the years. And I uh, have a lot of, a lot of family and friends. So you're Har- you're Harris County born and raised family's been there long as the dirt has almost. And there's probably not a more, Republican area of Georgia than Harris County. How do you become a Harris County Democrat? You got to get me there now. <laughs> well, you have uh, the mother that I have, um, <laughs> I think is, is probably the most direct uh, answer. You know, I, I grew up in a, uh, a family like, you know, well, a lot of families like throughout the, um, the 20th century, you know, just about everybody voted, you know, democratic and, uh, uh, my and, and obviously when Jimmy Carter ran, you know everybody's very excited about that. But it probably is an un, you know uh, a familiar um, occurrence for for a lot of folks. My you know my grandparents uh, started to drift away from the party probably in 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 the eighties. But my my mother um, tell us who your mom is. Yeah, Pam Avery. So my. My, my name is Bailey, but, but my mama's people are the, the Averys and the Davidsons and the Hutchinsons that have been there, you know, since before it was Harris County, frankly. Um, and Pam wrote, Pam wrote, Mama wrote um, for the Harris County Journal for a number of years. So some of your listeners may have read her columns. Um, and, uh, you know, she is, uh, uh, she's my, she and my fiance are my best surrogates on the campaign trail. And usually when one of them go out, you know, I get word back, Hey, Charlie, you don't need to come. We're good. Just send your mama or send follow me, you know, (laughs) send your mama. You can tell we're talking Georgia politics. Now you, you grew up in the Northern part of the County. And I think there's a, there's an old stone store that is at the four way stop of what roads, what's the intersection. Yeah. It's highway 18 and and two nineteen, And Uh, you, you your family land is one of those quadrants right all four all four so um, so that's that's where that's where you're from that is where i'm from and the farm is canaan farms which stretches from there um back towards pine mountain on highway 18 um and uh and that's where i grew up it was a cattle farm uh, when i was growing up and you went to harris county high school right you went to harris county high school lettered in soccer um, got, uh, got, got whipped by Brookstone and Pacelli, uh, a few times <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, Harris County through, uh, through and through. So, but you went off to UGA and we're obviously we are the day after a, this is a, this is a good day to be a dog, right? It is. It is. It are is. you a double dog? I am. Yes, sir. I went to the university uh, for undergrad and for law school, uh, majored in religion and political science uh, in undergrad, and then worked in politics for a little bit and then went back to law school. So what year did you get out of what year did you get out of law school, Charlie? <clears throat> law school 2010, uh, undergrad 2005. So you you always, I mean, growing up in your family and kind of, you've always sort of had the political, the political bug for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's probably my mother. I don't know exactly where, I mean, you never know where these things start, right? It's yeah, just, it, but I remember at a very young age being so interested in it. I mean, I think I was like nine or something like that. And, 
and uh, mama got me a book of the presents. So I was a political nerd from from way back, and I loved all the and you and I've talked about before the the old Georgia political history and and uh, loved all that. Um, and you were right there in the center of it with the Callaways and and some of that and sort of Harris. Muskogee Troop Air. I mean, you were right in the middle of a very politically active place. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the magnolia tree that's in Mama's front yard was um, given to my great-grandparents um, by uh, Mr. Kaysen, um Sr. and his, and his wife. And um, they were my family supported, you know, uh, Bo when he ran back in the, you know, before I was born in the, in the sixties, um, for, uh, for, for governor. And, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, politics was always something that was, you know, discussed at the dinner table and, and in my family, even though, you know, on my mother's side, I don't know that anybody ever ran. I think actually my, maybe my great, great grandfather was a County official. I don't even remember exactly which one, but, but yeah, politics is, was just a thing that was, we talked about. That's just kind of the way I grew up. So what'd you do when you got out of UGA law? Um, I went to work for governor Barnes at uh, at Barnes law group, um, his law firm, um, and did, um, uh, mostly work representing regular folks, whether it's on, you know, personal injury or you know, we represented teachers and, in, in a, in a big, pension fight um and uh did some some business litigation but all on the civil side civil litigation and uh after i did that for about four or five years i went to the fulton county district attorney's office was a senior assistant district attorney there uh in the gang unit in the organized crime and gang unit um and and did that until i ran for attorney general in 2018 Gang prosecutor in Atlanta. That sounds like a pretty tough job. It's, you know, it, it is, it's not nearly as tough as the folks that, that live in those communities, you know, um, that um, uh, have to deal with the menace of the, you know, the violence that swirls around organized crime and narcotics trafficking and human trafficking um, and how, you know, it rips apart those, uh, those communities and just stifles opportunity for young folks, um, you know, to, uh, to live a life one without fear and, and two where they can, you know, build something that they want to live to leave to their kids. And obviously we've seen some of that down here in Columbus. I mean, 70 homicides last year, uh, police have said a number of them, a measurable number were gang related, uh, it's it's an epidemic in the state of Georgia. Would you agree? I would agree, and it's not. And yeah, it's it, it to your point. It's it's uh, in Atlanta. It's it's in Columbus. It's in Dublin. It's in it's in small towns. I mean, what when you think about gangs and organized crime? Um, in one way, it's as old as mankind. You know, when you really break it down, it's a group of people that have gathered together. Um, to figure out how to break the rules to make money for themselves. That, that's essentially what you're talking about. Um, and then the, in the, and the victims of it are the victims of the violence. Um, but it's also the kids that get pulled into it. You know, I've seen more times than I would ever like to recount um, the number of lives from young folks that have been ruined because, and what we're missing in Georgia and the Republican leadership for 20 years frankly, you know, doesn't know or doesn't care about is attacking it at the, at the root of the problem. What drives organized crime and everything that flows from it is the people making the money on it, the leaders of the organized crime syndicates. And they use those young folks up. Uh, they don't care a thing about them. The folks that they have deputized out there breaking into cars, all right? A lot of you those know, kids are headed to jail or a grave, right? That's, that's, that's what I was just about to say. It, with the rare exception, it's going to be prison or the coffin. And the people that are making the money on it, they don't care about those kids. They're fungible. That's priced into what they have, they have done. And so um, break, you know, first you got to have 
people in state leadership that don't just want to have a press conference, right? They don't just want to preen about, oh, I'm tough on crime and I support whatever. I mean, anybody can say whatever they want. The ultimate test of any person is what you do. And, you know, we've got now almost a third of law enforcement living at or below the poverty line. You know, we've, we've got one person at the GBI, one person testing ballistics. So any shooting that happens, they collect, you know, they collect shell casings and they might find a gun and they need to see whether it matches. That goes to the GBI. When I was a, a senior ADA, um, that was six, seven month delays. Now it's 10, 11 month delays. And in that intervening period, more people are being harmed. And it's not just people involved in, you know, say, you know, gang warfare, or whatever, it's domestic violence that those people are, are committing. And the other piece of it is there could be somebody locked up that didn't actually do it. And that evidence would prove that they didn't do it. And so, you know, I'm all for people be on, being on board with protecting communities, but, you know, the people responsible for underfunding the criminal justice system and law enforcement are the Republicans that have been in charge for 20 years in the state to include Butch Miller and Burt Jones, who I'm running against. You know, it's interesting. You sound like a guy who's running for attorney general but you're actually running for lieutenant governor, and I know you have changed horses in the last week. Uh, um, I mean, you sound like a tough-on-crime Republican, not a tough-on-crime Democrat. But, you know, it's it's interesting. Why You were planning to run for attorney general, which you ran for in 18, and were, was, was, you were the Democratic nominee, and you were on the November ballot. Um, and... Abrams got more votes than any Democrat in Georgia. You were number two, right? Okay. So why are you not running for attorney general now? Why did you switch horses? Right. And I'm, I'm going to answer that question. The one thing I'm going to say, I think I, I sound like a Democrat. I think I sound like a Georgian that is for equal justice and safety for every person in, in the state. That's my only pushback on that. Fair. And Fair enough. Democrats, Republicans, wherever, they want their communities to be safe. You know, whatever your color. So you're saying state. crime's not a Republican issue? It ain't. No, it's a it's a people issue. It's a it's our kids issue, and uh, and affects every part of this state and every in every zip code and every background. So that's my only thing. And and, and when you do when you go at um, uh, part of uh, equal safety and equal justice is getting it right so everybody's treated fairly. Also, so. Um, to answer your to, to answer your question, um, yes, I was proud to be the the attorney general, the Democratic uh, nominee for attorney general in 2018. I was proud of the campaign that we uh, ran, getting that second highest uh, vote share, and I was running uh, for attorney general again. Um, some uh, leaders, uh, Democratic leaders, uh, came to me about you know uh, three four weeks ago, and um, and asked me to switch and to run for lieutenant governor. Can you tell uh, us who those leaders were? Well, some of them were quoted in, in the in the AJC mm -hmm. article. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll mention uh, DuBose Porter, who's the former chair yep. of the Democratic Party, also former minority leader. From Dublin? Yeah, from Dublin. That's right. Um, Al Williams, who's a, a veteran legislator from, from Liberty County. Um and uh, uh, Lucy McBath, Congresswoman, Hank Johnson, who's a congressman from Metro Atlanta, Governor Barnes, um, and, uh, and the last Democratic Lieutenant Governor, you know, Mark Taylor. Um, and so it's, a, it's, it's, you know, as you know, you're a student of politics. That's, that's maybe that, that's covering kind of the whole spectrum. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a pretty good, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty wide swath of the party. And in the, in the, the argument <clears throat> that they made to me is that all these issues we're talking about, and, and we can talk about folks' right to health care and their right to clean drinking water, um, uh, their right to a good quality education, which still has not been realized for far too many in this, in this state, whether it's that or whether it's public safety, which you and I have talked about. Um, they said, listen, Charlie, you can work on all those issues. 
You can do all of that, but you, you do it from the policy side. It's just a different perspective as opposed to attorney general and implementation side. And that my voice and my credibility, um, on, particularly on issues around uh, public safety, um, would be a benefit to the ticket, you know, um, a couple clicks up uh, in, in the role of lieutenant governor. And, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a Georgian first, but I'm also a party man. And so, you know, when I, when I looked at it and I thought about it and I talked to people, you know, like Mark Taylor, who had, had been lieutenant governor and a lieutenant governor under a, you know, Democratic governor and under a Republican governor, um, I realized I could do that work and that my background and my experience could be of benefit, yes, to the party and the ticket, but more importantly, to the state um, leading as, as lieutenant governor. And lieutenant governor is a wide open race because uh, the current lieutenant governor, uh, Jeff Duncan, is not going to seek re-election, which is very rare um, after one term. Um, right. Jeff Duncan has been an outspoken critic of the Republican loyalty to President Trump and what has happened in Georgia. You know, I know, I know you and Jeff are not on the same political team or the same political page, but what are your thoughts about the way Jeff Duncan has handled himself in the wake of the 2020 presidential election? Well, I think he should be commended for it. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a Democrat and I didn't vote for Jeff Duncan in 2018. And had he run again, I wouldn't vote for him in, in 2022. And that's okay. And we got to get back to a point where that can be okay. And I can also say he did uh, his duty and he continues to do his duty um, to, you know, this issue that, and I, I know, you know, you've talked to him about it and he's talked to other folks about it um, of the found, you know, before we are Democrats and before we are Republicans, more important than any political party is that we have a representative democracy. We made that deal a long time ago and it's not perfect. And it has had many, many flaws that we try to improve upon over the years. And we can talk about civil rights and voting rights and all, and, and all the rest. But I think Jeff should be, Governor Duncan should be commended for saying, you know, the sky is blue and, and up is up and down is down. And we have elections and sometimes you win them and sometimes you lose them, but it is sacrosanct what the people say. And you can't come in, when you come in and say these voters don't matter and only only these voters matter, you're an authoritarian. You're, 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 you are supplanting your personal political prerogative um, in your personal opinion, in the service of either your own personal politics or someone else's politics, and say we get to choose. That's not that's not democracy. That's not the way the game's played, right? Not the way the game is played. And I would say it's a con a marked contrast from Butch Miller, in particular, Burt Jones, who should be absolutely ashamed of his conduct. He wanted to overturn the election in this state. He wanted to have a special, he publicly called for a special session to, to say, no, we don't care what the people of Georgia decided. I know better. Me and my special interest buddies, and because I serve you know, and I worship at the altar of Donald Trump, our opinion will supplant the people of Georgia. And that's about as dangerous as it gets. If you win the nomination, you would likely be on a November Democratic ticket with Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. uh, she, you you have obviously traveled the state with with uh, Leader Abrams before, and you did that in 2018. What would you bring to the balance of that ticket if it was Abrams at the top and you in the second position? Well, let me say um, first, yeah, you know. Uh, Stacy's my friend and, and um, uh, Leader Abrams and I campaigned all over, like you said, all over the state in 18, was proud to do it and, and look forward to doing it again. And I'll say that I share, you know, her vision of one Georgia, which she's been, you know, talking about, which, you know, is, is kind of focused on no matter, again, where you live and what your background is and your access to power and all, all the rest, 
you deserve the same opportunities to leave for your kids and your family um, a better life than, than you had. And that vision of, you know, of, I would say hope and of, of, of unification and of the things that bind us together that she's going to be focused on, that's the kind of campaign I'm going to run. So, you know, one, we're very much in sync in terms of those, those policies. And again, it stands in, in contrast to the, the campaigns of, uh, I would say, fear and hate uh, on the other side as, as, as the Republicans carry out uh, their their primary. But, you know, um, Leader Abrams is one of the most impactful political leaders of any party in the, in the entire country. And she's a dynamic um, uh, uh, person of thought and action. And so I'll be proud to be, I was proud to be on the ticket with her, but I'll certainly be even more proud to be her, you know, ticket mate um, in, uh, uh, in this election. And I think what I bring to it is kind of, you know, what we talked about before um, or earlier, and that's my experience around public safety and keeping communities safe. I think because of my background, um, uh, I can maybe talk about things with a, with a different kind of credibility, or maybe from a different perspective. Maybe I can get folks to um, think about the actual policies that we're, that we're talking about and get past the initial, you know, whatever Twitter might have to say about what Republicans and Democrats, you know, quote unquote, think about these things. When you look, obviously you have, you've, you're a political scientist, but you're also a Democrat. When you look at what's about to happen in the Kemp-Purdue primary, what's your initial thought? And I'll answer that. I want to say another thing that I bring is, as we talked about before, being from Harris County in rural Georgia, that perspective, which I think, you know, the state isn't just Atlanta. And so I think I can, I can speak to folks in, in, in rural Georgia, and, uh, and that's a benefit to the ticket. But you're not likely to carry your own county, though. Because no, but we'll cut into the margins. And the good thing about the good thing about uh, a uh, a statewide election is is it's not like the county unit system, right? Back in the day, um, <laughs> that was a day too, wasn't it? <laughs> all the votes count the same, and so it's not about can, do we have to win half the counties or a third of the counties or, or anything like that. It is uh, votes, and we shave off a hundred votes here and two hundred votes there, and that kind of thing. All of a sudden, you add up. You know, and, and, you, and you've got to win. I, I'm sure you've done this, and I know you asked another question. I'll, I will get to it, I promise. But in the 2020 election, when you look at the shift from 16 to 2020, um, you know, Joe Biden, in New York Times has something called like a very detailed or extremely detailed map. Yeah, where you've I've seen it. You've seen it. All right. You know, Joe Biden improved upon in Democratic performance from 16 to 20 by 1% in rural Georgia. One percent. Now that doesn't seem like that much, but it's when you win thousand votes, there we go. That's an election. So, to, to your, you, you ask about. I mean, well, let's go to let, let's go to give me a quick analysis on what you see as both a Democrat and a political scientist in this Purdue Kemp. I mean, you normally don't have anybody challenge a sitting governor, much less a former United States senator, right? I'd say it's unprecedented, and you know, for for those of us like you and me who are who are dorks about it, you know, we could probably look back at when governors didn't run for re-election, and you'd have a former governor come back, you know, and, and that kind of thing in the '50s, '60s, and into the being 70s. an Alabamian, it was always George Wallace coming back into the game, right? Right. So maybe there's some you know similarities there, but no, it's 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 unprecedented in modern times. Um, and I think it is, um, I don't, I'm not an expert on predicting Republican primaries. That's for sure. Um, but I think many Republicans, right. right. (laughs) I think it is going to be, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I mean, I, I, from every, from all the indications we're seeing, um, it is it's going to be a very vicious campaign and the most disturbing part of it is it seems to be it relates right back to what we said earlier is it's going to turn on do you are you an authoritarian or not 
You know, do, do, do you believe that because one person says, Donald Trump says, this is the truth, then it is the truth, and that everything else is subservient to that? So I think it's bad for the Republican Party. I think it's bad for the state. Now, if David Perdue just wanted to run against Kemp and say, you know, um, I think you gave too much, you know, I don't even know. Like, I don't think you're right wing enough on, I think he gave too much. Or I don't uh, agree with the way you handle COVID. I mean. Right, or, or gave too much money to teachers or whatever, you know, and it's just on issues. Well, that's a Republican, that's a family fight and they can have that. The dangerous aspect is that everybody knows and it is become is going to become, you know, increasingly clear when they go up on TV that what Purdue is saying, because Kemp wouldn't overturn an election, he shouldn't be reelected. And that is a shocking, you know, we should not normalize that. The same thing's going to happen in the lieutenant governor's race. That's exactly what Burt Jones is going to say about Butch Miller. You, you weren't on board with overturning an election, therefore you should not be the lieutenant governor. Do they run the risk of getting so far right that they can't, come back to the middle between May, June runoff and, um, and November general. I say absolutely. My only, you know, kind of edit on that would be, I don't even know if it's to the right so much as it's undemocratic. It's like, it's not even about, Oh, you wanted to cut taxes this much. And I wanted to cut taxes more. It, it is, it is like outside of that. And, and certainly I think, and I think the, the polling data backs this up. The vast majority of Georgians do not agree with that. The vast majority of Georgians think that everybody's vote should count and that you should not, just because you lost, come in and say, we're going to throw out the will of the people and impose um, a political system. And I think that that, that I mean, so anyway, I, I think it's wrong. I also think it is very politically dangerous in the general election. Okay. You were on the ballot, obviously in 18, you're going to be on the ballot in, in 22. But if you look at 20, all of a sudden what Stacey Abrams couldn't do, what you couldn't do in 18 happened. You had, uh, John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock unseat two Republican U S senators and still, you know, I mean, for political observers, still a pretty stunning situation. What did those two Senate races teach you that you can use as a statewide candidate and a Democrat moving into this year's election? Well, I think, um, one, it shows the, um, the benefit of continuing to build a, a ground game and competing you know, not ceding any ground, you know, competing all over the state. Uh, both Senator Ossoff and Senator Warnock, you know, did that. And particularly on, you know, a, a ground game, you know, a field effort and, and that kind of thing. Um, some of that is muscle memory. And so until 2018. What do you mean? What do you mean? So until 2018, we had not had, it had been a long time since we had a robust ground game. And that's, you know, having get out the vote is what we commonly call that yeah having people in the community calling folks texting going door to door and saying hey you know this is important let's you know get on board da, 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 da. that is um for a long time it's been a long time since we had a concentrated effort and um when you look at other states that have been you know doing this you know, for a while, it builds up, a, I say, it builds up a muscle memory where when we go back, let's say we go back to Athens, Clark County, all right, and we want to make sure we get to all of our voters. Well, there's a whole captain system there. You know, in neighborhoods, we know who the folks that can organize. And so you don't spend the time and the money trying to figure that out. You go back to the teams that were put in place, and if somebody you know, you need to add somebody, you add somebody, but it becomes more efficient. So I would say that, that 20 was a continuation. You're talking about a playbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the, the kind of, a, you know, um, uh, the mechanics 
of a really a general election turn out the vote. Um, you pair that with, you know, in the investment, we had a lot of investment in 18, more than we'd had, you know, probably in, in 20 years. Um, 2020 was even more than that because people believed. I mean, as someone that was in the 18 race, and I told people, you know, hey, listen, this is going to be a coin flip one way or the other. A lot of people didn't believe, <laughs> not not until the votes came through. You get that kind of credibility, and then 20, you don't have to make the same kinds of arguments. Um, you pair that with competing everywhere. John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock did not cede any ground. It's, and they, they went into counties that, yeah, they were, you know, went into Ben Hill County, never went to Ben Hill County. That's not the point. But you tell the people in Ben Hill County that you care about them, that you want to hear what their concerns are, that you're fighting for their kids' education and their access to health care. You tell them that. You show them that respect and you, and you chisel off a couple hundred votes, you know? And so those two things, we're going to continue to do both of those things, both continuing to build out the ground game and not ceding any ground anywhere in the state. We know you talk about going into places like Ben Hill County or Harris County, places you're probably, you're not going to win, but Ossoff, now Senator Ossoff spent an inordinate amount of time in Muskogee County. And part of that was because he was running against Teresa Tomlinson, a former Columbus mayor in the Democrat primary, but that continued well into the general. I mean, I mean, my joke was he should have been paying taxes here. He was here so much, but he 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 did probably seven, eight uh, rallies at the Civic Center parking lot. I mean, he was here all the time, and when he got elected, you didn't have the normal Columbus people that were close with the senator. He didn't have a lot of you know close campaign supporters or friends here. He didn't have the a lot of the business community that had supported Senator Purdue, Senator Isaacson, Senator Chambliss. And all of a sudden, he's reaching out to the mayor and other people here and building new relationships with people in Columbus that's kind of a reset from what had been, you know, traditional business, business leaders that have had the relationships with those senators. Is that good? Is that a, is that a, is that a good sign when when you've had this kind of uh, flip of the way things were to the way they are? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I am an optimist at heart. And, and you know, I think it's important for anybody, you know, whether it's John, Senator Ossoff, or, or me running for lieutenant governor, or Leader Abrams running for, for governor, to not presuppose where people are and, and, and not assume that they, you know, because they're friends with, Senator Isaacson or Senator Purdue, or they might have given him a check or supported him in the past, that you don't share common values and common views on issues. And, you know, I think when you, when, if you just start out closing doors, I mean, uh, to me, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so the reverse of that, keeping the doors open, having the conversations and saying, yeah, maybe we don't agree on everything, but on, 65% of things, da, 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 you know, I can be of help to you or let, tell me what you need from your government. You build that kind of trust and then you deliver on it. I mean, and that's the had, key. Service. And because of some of the stimulus packages and stuff, there's been money coming out of DC that's been going into counties like Muskogee mm -hmm. across mm -hmm. the state. Let's shift gears a little bit and, you know, let's talk about, Georgia, you know you're how you're how old now, Charlie? About to be thirty nine. Okay, Georgia has changed. Even in your fairly short lifetime, Georgia has changed dramatically from when you graduated from Harris County High School twenty years ago, right? True. In what ways? Well, I remember when I was a was a senior. Yeah, I was a senior in at Harris County. I remember um, I volunteered to count votes um, in Hamilton at the courthouse. 
And that was when, uh, that was 2000, when Governor Miller was uh, running to, to fill out the term he had been appointed to in the U.S. Senate, um, Zell Miller. And, you know, uh, that was at the, at, the, at the time, looking back, it was the last gasp. You know, it was the last <laughs> time a Democrat was going to win at the, at the top of the ballot um, up until last year. And didn't know it at the time, but looking back at that at that period, um, you know, I some things about Georgia. I would say the good things, you know, uh, the the food and the culture and the, and the people. Um, so mustard sauce or ketchup sauce, ketchup based sauce on your barbecue. So I'm a guy that likes that likes variety so i like a little bit of mustard but i also like a vinegar base like a uh north carolina um but then i also like a tomato base that's maybe a little bit spicy okay okay now go back to finish your thoughts sorry i had to get the georgia's answer right i just added another one to it i didn't even answer the question um but um uh you know those kinds of things haven't changed it I'd, i'd say the you know, in many ways, the culture of Georgia, which is also the culture of Atlanta, kind of drives the, the country. And, and those of us that are from here and, and, and love the complexities uh, of Georgia, you know, we've known that, but it's, we're kind of like a major exporter of, of culture at this point, um, whether it's in music or, or, or food or TV, you know, and, and, and all those kinds of things. But politically, um you've seen you you kind of had this it the dam finally broke on on democrats in 2002 and then i worked for mark taylor in 2006 at the time we thought it was oh it'll come back they've seen these folks you know they're not on the level they're not really formed they're cutting education and all this kind of thing to come back and it was not ready to come back it was not at all ready to come back in 06 and so we kind of went down and but it we've seen a rapid change politically in these last, you know, four or five years, but it's really a trend that started in 2008 and it's been kind of building. And that's as Georgia has become uh, browner, blacker, younger, um, more educated with more, more people with college degrees. Um, There's a dynamism, but that dynamic, I guess what I'll say is like, we were the empire. We are the empire city of the South. We were the leader in the progressive South. You know, we were the first state to have, um, you know, kindergarten. You know, I mean, we took the sales tax off groceries. We had the Hope Scholarship. So we have a something in our DNA that is a forward-looking, you know, the city too busy to hate, building the airport. We've got a legacy of these kinds of things. It's there. Um, so it's not that everything just totally you know, changed in the last four years. It's more like we kind of remembered, you know, our, our roots a little bit. Um, but we also have the legacy of the county unit system. We do. We do. I mean, look, to be a Georgian and to be a Southerner is to realize, um, uh, you know, as Patterson Hood, you know, who uh, drive by truckers um, is, is his band uh, talks about the duality of the Southern thing. And it's understanding both the sins of our forefathers and the great love and vibrancy and beauty of the South and holding those thoughts together in in your head at the same time and accepting them and saying, we learn from our mistakes and we celebrate the beauty of our culture. Um, That's what it is. I think truly being a, a, a Southerner. Well, you look where you're, I mean, 15 miles from where you were born and reared, uh, you've got a major South Korean automobile factory that came in and supplanted the dying textile industry. But you had a work ethic in that whole East Alabama, West Georgia area that was, that were able, that work ethic enabled people to make the switch to the automotive assembly line from the textile, from the, from the spinning mill, from the spent, from the, bills do you think there's value in the lessons 
of West Point, and I use West Point a very, as a as a as a pin in the middle, but everything coming out from West Point, which you were you were raised in that area. I, I do, and um, people in West Georgia are hardworking, and um, and they just want a fair shot. Um, and I think if what it's as state leaders, if we one recognize that. Um, and, and two, say, okay, well, what is it that we can do um, to, to honor that, you know? And I think it is, is providing people, you know, the opportunity, education, educational opportunity. Yeah, that might be college, but, you know, increasingly it's, uh, you know, where can you learn a trade? Whether it's in a, a, a working in a, a plant like the Kia plant or, uh, another big automotive type plant. And they're about to bring a gun manufacturer into LaGrange. Right. So it, it is, you know, investing in that access to education and training technical school um, is, is paramount. And I think is that, that is what honors that, that work ethic, you know, that, that, that hardworking mentality that uh that west georgia has they they'll they just want a fair shot we got to give them a fair shot and far too far too often whether it's west georgia and whether it's you know whether you're black white you know brown anything else far too often people don't they don't have that fair shot and they don't have a state government that that really values it you know that puts that puts their money where their mouth is in terms of you know what is it that people need? You know, can't do they actually have a quality education, whether that's on a path or, for college or or path to technical school? And what can we do to provide that? You know, cutting the cutting the Hope Scholarship has been that has been done over the last you know ten years. Um, you know, eliminating the 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 it used to be free to go to you know technical school. Um, I mean that 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 restricts and frustrates the ability of hardworking West Georgians and, and, and Georgians across the state to live out the kind of life that, that they want to live out. Well, we're getting toward the end of this thing. And what, one of the things I do at the end of these podcasts, and I've done 45 of them so far this year and since March of last year, I like to turn the tables and it'll be interesting with you because when I turn the tables, I'm going to give you a chance. I've been asking you questions for 45 minutes. Ask me one, and, and we'll kind of see where that discussion goes from there. Okay. Well, I would be interested because, you know, I hear from voters, you know, uh, all the time. But but sometimes when people come to me, you know, it might be a bit self-selection because they're, they're supporting me or something like that. So maybe they tell me what, what I want to hear. You in, in the press and as a, as a veteran of the press, you kind of have your pulse on the community in a way that maybe politicians can't. Um, so I would say to you, you know, what is it that you are hearing particularly around um, the danger to the democracy? Is that something that you hear from people? And if you had to rank in terms of issues, where does that rank in the top five, ten, and what you hear from in your feedback? It's high. And if you're a Georgian, you can't get away from it because you see Secretary Raffensperger, you see Lieutenant Governor Duncan on national shows. I mean, they have become people that go nationally and talk about democracy as it pertains to Georgia and democracy, quite frankly, as it pertains to Georgia's democracy, period, because we have become ground zero and you touched on it. It's going to be an interesting to watch this gubernatorial primary in the Republican side to see where it goes. And, you know, on January the 4th of last year, I was in Dalton and I saw the Trump, I covered the Trump rally. And that was literally a warm-up event for January 6th in many ways. And it spilled out of the North Georgia Hills into D.C. two days later. And, you know, some of the people, you know, there are people that are clearly loyal to former President Trump and his views. 
Is that a majority of Republicans? And then is it a majority of Georgians? We're about to find out. And I think it's an answer that we should all be very, very, very interested to find out. You know, the other thing too, when you talk about where does it rank, I think right now economics is the number one issue in Georgia. And I, and this is what I'm hearing from people is, and because if you're a business owner, a small business owner, even somebody who works at a larger business, you're a manager, you can't find employees. It's clearly becoming a problem. And whether it's a restaurant or it's a hotel or it's a gas station, I mean, no, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting or, you know, it, or it could be any other number of business. Finding quality Republicans, I mean, quality employees is a very difficult thing to do. I, mean, I had a, a guy who works in the construction industry tell me the other day, we were talking about it, and he said, point blank, he said, I'm hiring people I would never have looked at two years ago. He said the number one quality, the number two, there are two things that if you can do, I'll give you a shot. One, you got to have a pulse, and two, you got to be on time. I'll teach you the rest. I mean, that's, you know, that's a long way from where we used to be, Charlie. It is. It is. And I would, I, I would say that, um, you know, while I've had conversations as well with, with, uh, people that run businesses uh, that express similar um, concerns or, you know, difficulties. The other side of it is, you know, this is the best labor market for people in 40, 50 years. And people are making life decisions, whether it be go to one income, go back to school, start a business. COVID has reset what people can and are willing to do. Right. And I don't know that that is a bad thing. I don't either. That's that's probably a good thing. And if that means, you know, that some folks need to pay a higher wage to get the certain kind of, you know, candidate or employee that they want, I think that's good for people. Um, And if, 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 you know, for their family, they can say we can go to one income and we don't need, you know, the, 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 the money that we, you know, that we did have, and it's more important to, uh, not have your kids in childcare, you know, then. So I would say one, it might not be a bad thing Two, Um, I think that the childcare piece in particular, and that, and I think it is very important that we get some help to families on childcare uh, and in, in having it as a part of whatever you're going to call the bill that they're working out in DC. Um, but having that help for working families so that it, so they actually have an, you know, an option um, will be important also for businesses finding employees. That's, you know, it's, it's, you know, and if, if people, they, they look at the option and say, I'd rather, I'd rather be home. I'd rather share that, you know, burden more. Then that's then that's fine, and maybe that's better for them. But not having the option is frustrating. Uh, the ability of business to produce, as you said. Well, I know you and I will be talking more because you'll be coming through here, and we'll be chasing you in other parts of the state a little bit as we cover politics. Uh, we want to give candidates, both Democrats and Republicans, the opportunity to come onto this podcast and have a conversation. And I'm really glad Charlie Charlie Bailey, running for lieutenant governor on the Democratic side, has decided to be one of those guys who's willing to come in and somebody that I know and I know where. Or what do we say down here? I know your people. Um, yeah, yeah, you're my people. <laughs> I know your people. Um, uh, and, um, you know, Harris County native. Um, been an interesting conversation. It really has. And I think, you know, I've learned, learned some things about you. And I think the people who listen to this will as well. And we'll, we'll have to do more. I mean, we'll, we'll get you, we'll interview you when you come back through when you start the campaigning, because I think it's all about to gear up in the next, what, three, four weeks. Yeah, I think so. You know, when we're obviously cognizant of, you know, the of COVID and, and all that kind of thing, but we will, you know, obviously I have a little bit of favoritism for, for West Georgia. And so 
um, we will be down probably more than uh, more than per capita. You know. <laughs> So, and while, you know, I'm not going to make a trip without letting you know, and, and Chuck, I really, I always enjoy talking to you, and I, I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate, you know, the time that your listeners have, have given. If, if they are curious about uh, this campaign, the website is charlieforgeorgia.com, and we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and all. they just type Charlie Bailey, and it'll come up. Dylan, he led us into where we're going, didn't he? Uh, 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 you can follow the Chuck Williams Show, original name there, Charlie, um, on uh, on the tr- traditional podcast sites on Spotify and Apple and uh, iHeart. You can also get it, get it on WRBL.com. It plays between 7 and 8 on night uh, on Tuesday nights, and then the replay is available on WRBL.com at any time. And, you know, if they don't want to look at our face, they can go to the podcast thing, Charlie. That may, that's, seems to be the option more and more people are taking with me right now. Um, also, on social media, you can get me on Twitter, at Chuck Williams. Twitter's got a lot of Georgia stuff on it today. If you want to see Bulldog stuff, go to Twitter. It is everywhere. Um, go Dogs. Go Dogs. That, a double dog there. National champion dogs. 40, you weren't even alive when they won the last one, were you? I was not. I was not. I was born in 1983, and so, you know, we had old VHS of, of the 80s and then just wore it out. Uh, and then, you know, when Coach Rick, my freshman year, freshman year? No, my sophomore year, we won the first SEC championship in 20 years in 2002, and that was when, you know, we beat y'all over there in, in Auburn. Uh, was it Michael Haynes in the, in the corner? Um, and, but then we were like, oh. See, it started politics, and now we're talking football. Two, yeah. It's what happens when you get two Southern guys together. Uh, yeah. Alabama, East Alabama and West Georgia is always going to come back to barbecue or football. You can also get me on Facebook at Chuck Williams WRBL, and you get me on Instagram. Uh, what is it? 0999. Chuck Williams, 0999. <laughs> expertly directed by Dylan Hansen. Good to have all of us back in the seat this week, and we will come back again for another Chuck Williams show next week. I want to thank Charlie Bailey, Democratic candidate for Lieutenant Governor Georgia, for joining us. Always good to talk to Harris County folks. We'll hope to see you back next week, and thanks for listening, guys.